A spectator subscription is now better value than ever before. As a new subscriber joining today, you'll pay just £1 a week for unlimited online and app access in your first year. To subscribe today, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash unlimited. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Pauls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Isabel Hardman. Now, the spending row when it comes to how to tackle the cost of living crisis continues to rumble on. Later today, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss will appear before Red Wall Hustings. But before we get to that, Isabel, Rishi Sunak's been vowing more support for energy costs. Can you bring us up to date post Liz Truss's no handout comment at the weekend as to what exactly both camps are proposing, if anything? Yeah, so it's definitely, um, even though we've got a month left of what looks like a contest with a foregone conclusion, it's definitely heating up in terms of the fighting between the candidates over the cost of living. And Rishi Sunak has today said that he will seek government efficiency savings to provide more help for people with their energy bills. This is after bickering yesterday between the Sunak and Trust camps about uh, whose plan was better, whether it was tax cuts that would help people with the cost of living because they could keep more of their money, or whether it would be what Liz Truss has described as handouts. And that's something that the Sunak camp are more sympathetic to, just saying that it's sort of inevitable there's going to have to be some kind of targeted support, and the welfare system is much more targeted than the tax system in this in this regard. So there's that. I think it's quite funny. I mean, there's, there's a number of things that are quite funny about this. One is Rishi Sunak, who spent most of his time as Chancellor telling colleagues, including Work and Pension Secretary Therese Coffey, that they couldn't have more money for this welfare payment or that welfare payment is is now somehow the, the champion of handouts. But also that he is criticising the trust camp for their tax cuts being inflationary, whilst also talking about measures which in themselves may also aid inflation. That's something that the trust camp uh, highlighted to me in last night's evening blend, saying that they said, how can Rishi's borrowing not be inflationary, but Liz's tax cuts are intellectually, it's as watertight as a sieve. So the idea that was posited by Gordon Brown over the past few days that the two sides might get together with Boris Johnson for emergency talks on helping people with the cost of living crisis is quite clearly dead in the water because they just don't agree on anything and they suspect the other side's motives far too much. So you're going to have to wait until after the 5th of September for these packages of support to come from the government. Now, James, this Trust's camp are not ruling out handouts. They might not want to call it a handout, but they're not ruling out more emergency relief. And you have Paul Johnson of the IFS coming out and saying that whoever takes over is going to have to find billions in terms of support. We have quite horrific projections today of what the energy cap could look like. So it seems to be honest, politically very tricky for Liz Truss not to provide more support. Do you think that her camp are even trying to suggest that? Or, or where where is basically the nuance in this? So we've got new numbers today from Cornwall Insight, who are generally regarded as, as the best people at working out where the price cap is likely to land. And they are truly horrific. I mean, it, it says that from January, £4,266 will be the, the price cap. That That is astonishing. And I, I also think it is worth noting this, which is Ofgem moved to these quarterly price caps rather than biannual 
to try and help consumers. I mean, that's the irony of the situation. The idea so was... So it'd be less of a jump. That, yeah, no, no, no. And that, that as prices came... Remember, this, was, this was, shows how much the thinking has changed. That people used to think that energy prices were going to come back down again. So you wanted to move to these quarterly price caps because prices would start to come off the peak. You want to, to help consumers as they go down. They, they are instead going up. And I think the other point here is how high the price cap is expected to remain for so long. So whatever you do needs to be something that you can essentially sustain because prices are still going to be very high in 2023. We're looking at over a year with prices are over £3,000 in terms of where the, where the price cap is. Now, I think one of the, the, the surprising things about this debate is how relatively quiet the opposition parties have been. And this has changed, I think, today with Ed Davey coming up with what is a kind of classic third party policy, right? And he basically said the government should scrap the energy price cap and absorb all the extra rise itself. So it shouldn't allow the price cap to rise in October. And instead, the government should basically just, just, just pick up the money. Now, this is obviously would solve the problem, but would be very expensive. And also it would mean that very wealthy people would get all the benefit as well as people, people lower down the income scale. But I think what you're going to see here is that there is going to start to become a kind of debate about what to do. I think Labour made in the run to local elections, Labour made huge amounts of hay out of what the windfall tax would do. And actually, it wouldn't have raised that much. But they kind of suggested throughout that campaign that the windfall tax would essentially enable you to deal with the price increases. It, it, was, it, it, it wouldn't have. But I think the big question is, is what do Labour say? I think it'd be very strange if Labour did not come out with their own package ahead of Ofgem announcing on, I think it's August the 26th, what the October price cap increase will be. I think one of the challenges for everyone is that they are trying to hit a moving target at the moment. And the problem is the, the target is, is, is moving upwards in terms of a level of support you would need to provide. And Isabel, Dominic Raab, who is a prominent Rishi Sunak supporter, has written a piece for The Times today saying tax cuts now would be political suicide in terms of this emergency tax cutting budget we, we are expecting Liz Truss to do if she enters number 10. It does feel as though, while Rishi Sunak is also talking about support, he hasn't come up with the specifics yet. Do you think tonight we're seeing a hustings, is a red wall hustings, the cancel we pressed on what exactly they're going to be offering? Is it really sustainable to not get into details over the next four weeks? Yeah, I mean, the argument from the Sunak side is that it's, it's not yet clear quite how bad things are going to be. So in the autumn... Uh, as James has just explained, we're going to find out more from Ofgem about quite how high energy bills are going to go. But we've already got these indications from Cornwall Insight and others about how high that possibly could be. So as you say, it's going to be difficult to hold that line on I'm not going to announce great details about the extent of support until the autumn while you're getting pressure from from Tory members uh, in red wall seats in, in more deprived areas. I think one thing that does probably take the pressure off Sunak a little bit is that, bluntly, his campaign is a little bit more defensive at the moment than Liz Truss is. So he's more focused on criticising Truss than he is on announcing measures, particularly on welfare and so on. And frankly, 
people expect trust to win at, th- at this stage. So actually the pressure is more on trust to, to start talking as though she's planning what she's going to do once she gets into government, which suits her because one of her refrains is, you know, from day one, I can hit the ground running or hit the ground, depending on whether there's a sort of social media typo or not. But she wants to talk in more detail about what exactly what she'd be doing in that emergency budget to show that she's, you know, ready and raring to go. But yet, James, we don't have the specifics in terms of whether Liz Truss is going to do anything in terms of relief on bills yet, do we? And that's where we're starting to see a schism of her supporters. So Sajid Javid today, who I think raised eyebrows last week when he came out, has told the iPaper that he would expect that you would need to do a lot of relief. And it's worth remembering that Penny Morden was out at the weekend saying, that, I can't remember, was it overinterpreted or, or, or mis- 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 yeah. the misinterpreted? Is the misinterpreted is the word of the trust um, But the no hand outside hadn't meant no targeted support. I mean, there is a question, which is that one of the things that the Sunak campaign is very keen, points that they're very keen to make is if you reverse the national insurance rise, the benefits of that go, the higher up the income scale is, the bigger the benefit you get from it. That, that's one of their big messages. So in terms of trying to, as Isabel said, if you're, if you're trying to target help, the tax system is less targeted than the welfare system. And so what do you do? And then Mark Harper, who's another Rishi Sunak supporter, was out today pointing out that because pensioners don't pay national insurance, reversing the national insurance rise doesn't do much in terms of helping them. So, but, I, but I think that, I've, I've, I mean, there are, there are rumours in Westminster this morning that, that we're, we, we are soon to hear a bit more from the trust campaign on on, on, on what they might be prepared to do this autumn. I think, I think ultimately, whoever is in charge is going to have to do something this autumn. These numbers are so large. And I think, but I think this is one of the things about the broader economic situation, just to, to step back for a second, is we see this with energy price increase. We see this what the Bank of England says about inflation. The idea that this was going to be a spike that would come down quite quickly now looks like it is wrong. And it looks like we are in for a prolonged period of these elevated costs, which which raises the question, because this isn't about kind of one emergency intervention to try and fix things. It's about what do you do over, over a longer term period? And I think also we haven't had a podcast since. But I think if you look at what the Norwegians said yesterday about how they are going to prioritise, you know, they produce a huge amount of hydroelectric power, and that they are going to prioritise refilling their reservoirs, rather than trying to generate that power for export, because they want to ensure domestic supply. Now, I think one of the things you're going to see is that as we saw with COVID, that in, in a crisis, borders reassert themselves. And I think that whatever the contracts say, realistically, any country is going to prioritise preventing blackouts in its own country over exporting power. Now, that has big implications for the UK because the UK is a net importer of energy. And in the winter and the colder months, the UK tends to pull in quite a lot of energy over the interconnectors from France and Belgium and Holland. And so I think if you look at the national grid at the moment, they're saying they're confident there'll be no blackouts. But it doesn't take very many unpleasant surprises for that to be questioned. And so I think we we are obviously talking about the, the price impact because it is so it is going to be so seismic. But there is also the supply question, which is, you know, what happens if there just isn't enough power for all of the things going on, even with the demand destruction on the industrial side that will stem from prices this high. One final point. Someone who owns a small business called me last night saying how that their power bill had gone up from fourteen hundred to nine thousand pounds. Remember the the energy cap 
price cap does not apply to businesses. And I think this is the other thing, too. Uh, how many of these businesses struggle to be viable with energy price caps this high? And then also think about all of the impacts on public services, school running costs, for example, or if of power bills being so high. And I thought it was very interesting about, on just on the supply point, that Kit Malthouse, who is the kind of cabinet office minister in charge of all these kind of contingency stuff, was saying last night, all hospitals will be told to make sure that their diesel generators are fully prepared for the winter in case they're needed. I mean, that is just a reminder of how, yes, you can say it's sensible contingency planning, but it's also a reminder of how serious this crisis could get. And finally, Isabel, you're joining us from Scotland today, and it is Results Day. What are we learning from it? Yeah, so it's the higher nationals results, and the pass rate has dropped from the levels seen in the past two years. So the number of pupils getting an A to C pass at higher was 78.9%, down from 87.3% last year. But this was higher than the rate in 2019, which was the last year when there were um, formal exams. And um, that was similar for the National 5 and advanced higher exam results as well. One of the things that, that does seem to have been happening is that the attainment gap seems to have been widening. But it is very difficult to compare year on year because of the way in which exams were disrupted due to COVID. But one of the things, the interesting things about the debate up here is that even though education is obviously a devolved issue, it's something that the Scottish government is, is entirely responsible for. They don't get the, the battering that Westminster politicians do for the English for any mistakes or um, lowering of attainment in the education system in England. And that's partly a function of the way in which Nicola Sturgeon manages to, to, to try to blame the Westminster government for, for as much as possible, but also for her, her focus on independence a lot of people say uh, sort of above and aside from anything to do with the, the domestic policies that the SNP have been responsible for for years. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.